0: it's showtime don't say it please don't say it no I have to say it Mitch showtime showtime it's showtime everybody showtime welcome back to the showtime movie podcast as always I'm your host Thank you so much for listening and tuning in and leaving comments and all of those good things, but we are here to talk about some movies and our uh, our escapades, our capturing of feelings, everything good about the Best Picture nominees for 2021 continues, right? We just had the uh, the Oscar nominations discussion and as i mentioned i had not seen all of the movies right so we're going to capture two uh two best picture nominees today sound of metal and mank two very interesting two very different movies and then we'll talk about, I'm, I'm thinking we'll talk about the the, the the last couple of Best Picture nominees that we don't get to in this episode on the next episode, right? Because it's the beginning of April, thereabouts, so we'll get to, yeah, I'm thinking we'll get to maybe the last two or three or whatever it ends up being, um, maybe in the next couple of weeks. Uh, and then, yeah, we'll we'll be able to make our, our final Oscar nominations predictions. The Screen Actors Guild Awards are coming up. Uh, the BAFTAs are coming up as well. So I, I think once those... Once those awards have been in the bag, once those actually have been uh, awarded, I guess uh, to various uh, actors and so on, we can actually come back here and we can discuss them, right? I'm not actually sure when the Writers Guild and the Directors Guild awards are happening, but I mean I mean, you know, those are just they're what signposts as we like to say, they're not always super accurate. I mean, if if it was going off of what what happened last year, then Parasite wouldn't have won the uh wouldn't have won the Oscars. as my my prediction was uh was the big war movie, right? 19 19- 12 1917 I always I, gosh again it it's 3am okay I uh, I apologize but uh, either way um we'll we'll get to those uh, award predictions in the next couple of weeks uh but yeah in this episode we'll do sound of metal mank and then we'll sneak in a new release a new popcorn summary kind of release Godzilla vs. Kong crazy to think that uh man I, I can't believe the last movie I saw in theaters was still Sonic the Hedgehog that is crazy to think that that is the last movie I actually put my butt in a movie seat, in a theater seat, pardon me, to actually see, right? And look, I've seen plenty of movies since then, but I mean, it's not the same. It's not the same, right? You guys want to go back to the theaters. And, hey, you know what? Depending on where you're listening to this from, maybe you have been back to theaters to watch uh, to watch movies, right? I, I know some people who have, but certainly not for me here in Canada. Things have still gone a little slowly with the vaccine here in Ontario, so... Uh, again, wherever you're listening to this from, I hope you are safe. I hope, uh, I hope things are going well for you, and I hope um, you know you're still uh, partaking in, in our our shared uh, interest, which is of course movies, right? So why don't we get straight into the reviews and let, let's start with. One of the more interesting movies I've seen in the last couple of years, certainly a movie that has raised my profile, my interest level in someone like Riz Ahmed, um, who of course I mentioned before, the first actor to be nominated, the first Muslim actor, pardon me, to be nominated for the Best Actor Award. Uh, so Sound of Metal, terrific film, very strange, very different, almost experimental at times. But So let's get right into the review for Sound of Metal. So if you listen to this podcast uh, with, I suppose, any degree of regularity, you'll know that When we get to the starting points of reviews, I like to kind of just fade in and fade out some music, usually something from the movie that we're talking about, right? Like when we did Justice League, uh, we didn't exactly use music from Zack Snyder's Justice League, but we did, you know, we did like uh, the Justice League theme song, Justice League Unlimited theme song. And I mean, it it got the point across, right? Because it had something tangentially to do with Justice League, right? When we did like Moana, we used a song from the movie, right? When we did any any number of movies, you kind of use either a song that played in the movie, a song that is uh, related to it, whatever, right? I think you guys, I think, largely understand. It gets the point across. Plus, it's a great place to say, hey, listen to this episode, listen to this review at this very time-stamped part, and we can go from there, right? Sound of Metal is different because there is actually no soundtrack for this movie, right? Like, I actually think... There was, if I recall, uh, there was a song that played over the credits, but it was a very slow, and a B. I'll com- I'll completely admit I don't entirely remember what it was. Uh, but either way, I almost feel like it's a uh, more more fitting to have no song for uh, Sound of Metal because this movie is about someone going deaf, and again, no soundtrack. There's a really interesting sound design. We'll get that to it. We we'll get to that in a second. But yeah, no soundtrack meant that this movie is largely uh occupied in your ears right for your uh oral pleasure and um you know in the in the movie way not in the dirty way get your mind out of the gutter disgusting but <laughs> either way the uh the, the the movie really does focus on sound right like different kinds of sound so for example uh it's it's about a, a punk metal heavy metal a drummer who begins to lose his hearing, so you hear the music the kind of, they play at the beginning of the movie. Lots of really guitar, distorted guitar sounds, banging on drums, and then he, you know, he hears a ringing in his ear. So you hear the ringing, right? And I'm sure, I'm sure people, for whatever reason, have have heard ringing in their ears. Like I, I admit, I have had concussions in my life, and I've heard ringing in my ear, and it's very similar to what you hear in in uh, the sound of metal, right? Similarly, uh, I guess to go a little more to the movie side of things if you've ever seen a war movie and you see like a grenade explode near a soldier and they're like they're if they want to get the point across that they're like they have having trouble hearing you can hear the ringing in their ears right so he hears the ringing and it doesn't go away entirely and you can hear the the muffled sounds of things around him as his hearing slowly decreases and as the movie goes on his hearing goes away entirely and he just is kind of living in silence now i gotta say riz ahmed is fantastic He is so, so, so good. He, uh, again, I mentioned in the previous episode when we talked about the Oscar nominations with James Mackin, you know, Riz Ahmed becoming the first Muslim actor to be nominated for the Best Actor Award, and I gotta say, he deserves it. My gosh, I was really happy to see that just overall because I am Muslim, but at the same time, he absolutely deserves it. Like, he he gets across so much that Ruben, the character Ruben Stone, which is, by the way, uh, an all-time character name, Uh, Ruben is, like, he he feels fully realized, right? Like, he feels like a real person. And I think that is one of the best performances I've seen in a movie this year. I've got to say, I haven't actually seen Riz Ahmed in a ton of things, right? Like, I've seen him in, um, I guess I would argue the thing that most people... I guess began to know him for when he played the kind of like that Mark Zuckerberg like character in the Jason Bourne the 4th Jason Bourne movie, the one that was I think just called Jason Bourne. Um and then of course he was also in Star Wars Rogue One, which is cool for me because I love Star Wars, but at the same time like I haven't seen him in a lot of different things and I got to say this this view of his work was absolutely phenomenal. I can't recommend it enough. If you are really into that kind of stuff and you want to see all the acting nominees, you won't be disappointed, let's say with Reza Mehdi um, Paul Gacy as well as the uh, deaf mentor. I looked it up. Apparently, he, he uses a lot of the characters, as you might imagine, use ASL, American Sign Language. Um, and uh, he is not deaf, as you might imagine Riz Ahmed is not as well. But at the very least, his character goes deaf, right? Where, and he learns to exist as a deaf person. Whereas Paul Gacy's character, at the very least, has been deaf for a while. And you learn that that, that character's backstory was about uh, he was a Vietnam soldier in the Vietnam War, uh, and he, uh, a bomb went off near him and he lost his hearing and, and he learned, you know, he learned sign language and so on, uh, but he could still talk. And it was just really interesting as the kind of empathetic, caring, but kind of somewhat stern and tough, uh, mentor kind of role. He was absolutely phenomenal. Apparently he actually knows ASL because he grew up the uh, hearing child of two deaf parents. So that was an interesting tidbit. I learned about Paul Gacy after the movie, but yeah, Riz Ahmed is just phenomenal, But I will say that the sound design, again, the ringing, the muffled things, later in the movie, he he basically has his hearing back via these implants, um, which are, as the doctor explains, a way to trick the brain into thinking it's hearing sound instead of actually taking in like like audio waves, sound waves into your ear and your brain processing it that way, right? So it's kind of like a, a 21st century trick, I suppose, with medical improvements being the way they are. And look, that's really I I think that's really cool. But because of course, like if you're not deaf, you wouldn't know what that sounds like. The movie goes a long way in in, in making it in, in making it feel like it would be a really tough thing to endure, right? And I gotta say, if if it really sounds like it basically sounded like he had like a bad phone connection or like a bad he was listening to a, a poorly recorded podcast with uh with uh with basically everyone everyone and everything every kind of sound not just conversation right it sounded very patchy very very mechanical very tinny right and it's just man that was really brutal so i i it, it really goes a long way in order to make you experience what ruben experiences and it's it's uh but at the same time it only supplements what riz Ahmed's terrific terrific acting does I will say as well, I think this movie at its core is about acceptance, right? Like acceptance of things you can't necessarily change. And and because, you know, he gets these implants and he wants to change his own fate, right? He wants to get his herring back. He doesn't want to just accept that he is deaf. And uh, Paul Gacy's character basically says, look, people who are deaf don't view it as something that needs to be fixed. It's it, it's not something. It's not a weakness, right? And he basically refuses to accept that, I think, until the very end of the movie. Like, I think it's kind of implied that he does, at the very least, learn to just sit in silence, which is a large part of learning to be deaf, according to a lot of these characters. Um And he doesn't learn that until the very end of the movie. He has to make some very painful decisions along the way. But I really do think for that reason, it really, I don't know, the idea of accepting something that happened to you and that you feel is unfair is just, that's hard. Right that's a hard thing to do. Not everyone can do that. I don't think I, I don't think I'd be able to do that to be completely honest, right? Like if I was if I was deaf, I don't think I would I would handle it in this in, in a in a good way. I'll be completely honest, right? Like I I've had other things happen to me in my own life, like I think I've mentioned before briefly that I've gotten divorced and like that was a really tough period for me. No, I'm not comparing it to being deaf certainly, but that was a tough period for me. And I struggled to accept that for a really long time, right and so it's just I think accepting something that you don't want to happen on any scale is really tough, and I think for me that made this all the more poignant but look, sound of metal terrific movie uh it's nice and nice and nice and short and sweet right I, I watched it on the cineplex store here in canada it was oddly cheap i guess i guess because it came out earlier in the pandemic but uh less than seven dollars is uh, for an oscar-nominated movie hey I, i'm here for that right so i think if you like good acting with riz ahmed and paul gacy if you like the interesting directing the interesting sound design we'll be interested to see i mean it'll be hard to top that but i'll have to go and really take a, a couple of uh, in-depth looks at the other nominees because you never know maybe i'm sure i'm sure other films are are equally valid but i mean a, a movie that has has such an interesting, I guess almost experimental sound design will be hard to beat. I, I would imagine, but either way, uh yeah, it's it's it great great performances, great visuals, and I I if you're if you wanna like me complete the set of Oscar nominees, then I, I can't recommend the sound of metal enough. Next up on the uh, Oscar Best Picture nominee list is Mank. Uh David Fincher's latest. It's crazy to think that David Fincher. If you go back, I think, five movies. Okay, So don't count Mank, right? If you go back five movies before that, uh, you're actually at Zodiac, I want to think. And Zodiac was made in 2008 or something like that. So it's pretty crazy to think that David Fincher, like in the same time period – you look and go see how many movies Steven Spielberg has made. I'm not look. I'm not knocking David Fincher. Some people just don't make as many movies. I mean, look at how many films Daniel Day Lewis made his entire career, right? So it's just that people work at different paces. I'm not criticizing, but it's just crazy to think that a director of David Fincher's caliber has not made uh, that many movies as a director, right? I mean, he he has worked on some TV things, I think, in between like 2010 and now, and he has made. what what else is in there? I guess Social Network. The girl with the dragon tattoo. I'm probably missing one as well. And then, of course, Mank. And uh, it's just, yeah, it's wild to think that he hasn't made that many movies. But Mank, I I do think, is a very different film from David Fincher, right? You always, you probably think of like, I mean, just mentioned Zodiac and the girl with the dragon tattoo and so on. Like, you know, psychological thrillers and with killers and, and sociopaths and Jesse Eisenberg playing Mark Zuckerberg. So, I mean, maybe that guy, maybe he fits in there. I don't know. Please don't, please don't assassinate me. Facebook, if you're listening to this and you probably are, is a Google Home in the other room? Google, don't send drones to get me please don't uh, but look either way uh, David Fincher is one of the most interesting directors I love his work Mank is a strange movie Mank is different than his regular stuff so if you're if you're used to the David Fincher of old and all the movies we've been talking about I think you'll uh, you'll have a different experience much like I did so let's get right into the review of David Fincher's David Fincher, released in the year 2020, is a fine, good movie. The end. All right, that's it for me for this episode of the showtime. No, 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 no. I just, I don't know. I don't really know what else to say when it comes to Mank. Mank is an interesting movie because I think I can acknowledge right off the bat that it was a well-made, well-acted, well-directed, well-edited, whatever movie, right? It was good. It was a good movie. I I don't know that it particularly scratched any movie itch that I had, right? I don't know I don't know if that's because I don't really have a frame of reference for what is going on in the 1930s, right? Like 1930s, 19 early 1940s as well. I don't really have a frame of reference for that beyond what I have learned in school, right? Like there's an interesting scene in this movie uh, which uh, I think it was a depiction of kind of what parties were like back then, right? It wasn't like, you know, a house party where you go today and everyone kind of is milling about and talking to each other and drinking booze and whatever. It's mostly like the hosts and their friends are all congregating in one central area and a lot of people are just mostly listening to them have conversations, right? And uh, as you might imagine, Mank, who is a Herman Mankiewicz, is a screenwriter who I think in in history is mostly remembered for... Uh, writing Citizen Kane, right? Like I think he, I think he was like a script doctor or helped write the script for I want to say other movies like The Wizard of Oz and The Pride of the Yankees and stuff like that, right? Movies like in the from the 30s and 40s and 50s and so on. Although I believe he passed away as the movie uh, movie says in in the mid 50s. But either way, he uh, that's what he was known for. Mank is one of these people at these parties, right? Like who who are I guess high enough up the uh, social ladder, or because he's funny and well spoken for whatever reason, is one of the people who. Who speak while other people listen and look. There's no denying that Gary Oldman does a magnificent job. He was he was nominated, right? When we did the Oscar prediction stuff, he was one of the uh, best actor nominees. And uh, yeah, he's pretty good. I mean, Gary Oldman is by and large he's a very 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 good actor, right? I don't think I can't imagine there are a lot of movies where you see a Gary Oldman role and you think, yeah, Gary Oldman wasn't very good, right? Because that's the truth is he's a magnificent actor, right? It's just I I don't really know that I cared all that much about what was going on in Mank, right? Like, sure, it told the story of a man who, in his own small way, raged against the regime of of a monolithic corporation, right? Because it kind of tells the story as well of, I suppose, Mank's relationship with Marion Davies, the actress, with uh, Hearst, the director, with Mayer, the director of the movie studios, like the head of the movie studios, I should say so as we don't use the word director twice, <laughs> but you, you know what I mean. Like they're, they're the other kind of main-ish characters. Marion Davies being played by uh, Amanda Seyfried, Charles Dance playing William Hurst, and Arliss Howard playing Mayer. And uh, it's kind of about as well, to a degree, about how both Hurst and Mayer scuttled the, I guess, the bid, the, the electoral. because there's some political stuff in here as well, about the Republican versus the Democratic nominee for, I, I guess it was the the governor of California in 1934, because the movie is kind of half told via flashback and half told in the present before it all kind of catches up with itself. And I mean, look, I don't know jack squat about <laughs> the California governor race of 1934 beyond what this movie tells me, right? I guess there was a guy named Frank Merriam involved and a guy named Upton Sinclair. And Sinclair was you know put forwards wanted to put forward so many reforms like like pension and pay things and this and that that it was viewed to be like communism almost and the republicans of hearst and Mayer used their power and that they wielded within hollywood to make short films that played in theaters around the country that essentially for or not around the country but around the state i suppose that scuttled the bid of one Upton Sinclair. Although, by the way, Upton Sinclair was played by Bill Nye, the science guy. Uh, that really threw me. I had to pause the movie and Google it quickly uh, because I was like, is that Bill Nye? But yeah, there you go. He had one one very small speaking part, how Bill Nye came to be in a movie directed by David Fincher. I have no idea. I would love to see the 30 for 30 on how Bill Nye became to be in a, in Meg, but... That is an aside. But look, I mean, I I have no skin in the game of, of, of Republicans versus Democrats. I'm not American, right? This is a very American movie. Even if you believe that this movie is a quote-unquote love letter to old Hollywood, which I don't necessarily think it is because it, I feel like a large part of this movie goes out of its way to show just how awful it was, right? How awful everybody was, right? And I mean, like maybe the, maybe the only part of Mank that could feasibly or incredibly be called a uh a, a love letter or or a nod let's say to old hollywood is uh, amanda st Freed's, uh marion davies right because she is like a very very like i don't know what the right word is like she's very like g- kind of a glamorous uh kind of larger than life character like if you when you think of like a Marilyn monroe type which i know i know she came later but if you think of that kind of old movie star elizabeth taylor that kind of stuff i feel like in your mind's eye you would picture what they put on screen with amanda seyfried and uh and and marion davies right so she's probably as close as you get but by and large everyone is pretty unhappy mank is pretty unhappy his wife is unhappy the caretakers are pretty unhappy for a while the studio head is unhappy the director is unhappy everyone is relatively unhappy And so that, I would, I would stay away from the terms love letter to old Hollywood because first of all, I think that's a cliche. I'm certainly guilty of that. I'm not saying I'm not, but at the same time, yeah, I don't know. It just seems kind of like a something. It seems wrong to say that because of how much it's, uh, you know, it's about how things are kind of negative, right? I, I was reading some other people's takes on this because, honestly, I didn't really know how I felt, and I needed some kind of compass pointing, I'll be honest. And, and some people, I, I, I think I've uh, discussed in a previous uh, previous episode, my friend Quentin really liked this movie, and my friend Mark really disliked this movie. i probably fall somewhere in the middle, like it was fine, like I said off the top. But I'll also say that I think it's interesting that David Fincher... In his depiction of what Hollywood was like in the 30s and 40s, kind of, and he, I'm sure this is intentional, but he kind of draws a parallel between the Hollywood of today and the Hollywood of the 1930s in the sense that, you know, the like at the time of me recording this and Disney having bought Fox just a relatively short time ago... Sure, all the people who are fans, like me, who are fans of the comic book movies, you know, they crowed because you think to yourself, oh, man, now the X-Men are going to be in other movies. But, I mean, at the same time, it's not great for, the, for, for movies and for film that a monolithic corporation like Disney owns, like, what, like 40% of Hollywood films, right? Or 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 studios or creation or what have you, right? Hollywood is probably, right now, the least fragmented it has been maybe since the 1930s and 1940s, right? So I'm sure that in some way, David Fincher is making a point about how the Hollywood of today and the machinations that go on behind the scenes that people have to deal with and, and maybe try and rail against like Mank is doing uh, is is not that much different from today, right? And, and look, if that's the case, if that's intentional, and again, with movies like these, those things are rarely unintentional. But at the same time, if that is what he's trying to do, hey, more power to him, kudos to him, kudos to Jack Fincher as well, David's late father, who I believe was a journalist who passed away in the early 2000s, who actually wrote this movie, right, I'm sure he didn't, you know, I'm sure since like the early 2000s, the script has been touched up by other people who are not necessarily getting credited, you know, it's a good story as well, but at the same time, look, kudos to Jack Fincher for for really like honing this idea in the first place, Uh, but at the same time, I don't really care all that much, right? Like is and, and maybe that's bad of me. Maybe that's a millennial the millennial in me speaking, right? It's just the the fact that I don't have a frame of reference to go back to the beginning and the fact that my level of interest in statements made by old Hollywood as they pertain to the politics of the time, the Great Depression, and and later World War II, you know, it doesn't really hmm doesn't really interest me all that much, right? Like there was that, that's go back to the beginning there that, you know, I was telling you guys about the, the party, right? Like how people would sit around and listen to, to the kind of big, big wigs talk about, they give their opinions political and otherwise. And, uh, in, in that one scene, they essentially discuss Adolf Hitler and they discuss how at the time, you know, he was coming to power in Germany, but you know, people, no one's going to, someone says, no one's going to take him seriously. And Manx says, well, forty million Germans would disagree with you. And of course, look, it's twenty 2020, twenty. It's twenty twenty one, actually. <laughs> I can't forget that. But in uh, it's you know, in the in, in the time we live in, we know what happened with Adolf Hitler and the Holocaust and World War Two and all the various causes that go into that, right? And you know that a lot of people did like what Hitler was saying. And again, maybe that's a parallel to the the Social and racial, and certainly religious as well, uh strife that is 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 present in today's age. Maybe that's supposed to be a parallel, right? And and the 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 warning of not taking people seriously, perhaps. But I don't know. I just I just feel like because it's all couched in the black and white and eh, make Herman Mankiewicz, I'm the best screenwriter who ever lived. I just, I just think to myself, eh, I just find I don't really find it all that interesting, right? Like again technically superbly made very well acted i just i it's it's something that i feel like i can look at from afar but i have no interest in ever watching again right it, it was. it's kind of the same with spotlight if you remember that movie spotlight was absolutely phenomenal i'll never say a bad word about spotlight i have no desire to ever see that movie ever again and Mank is kind of the same way the irishman actually is kind of the same way as well a great movie. didn't didn't really didn't really love it, but I mean, it was a great made movie. I never want to see The Irishman ever again. <laughs> I think I think after you guys get the point that after seeing Mank, I'm going to take that well-made movie and file it away uh, in the Netflix category of please don't bring this up on my recommendations ever again. Even though I think it's a really good film. The last movie on the docket for today. You know, actually, now that I say that out loud, and I've said that before a million times, the word docket. What is the what is the origin of the word docket? I have no idea. What is the what is the what are the semiotics or whatever of the word docket? I'm not actually sure. You know, what, I'll look that up for the next episode if I if I remember. But either way, on the docket for uh, now, the last one: uh, Godzilla vs Kong, directed by Adam Wingard and. You know what? I could tell you who else stars in this movie, but it doesn't really matter because the two A-list stars are Godzilla and Kong. So why don't we talk about the review of the very silly but also very fun Godzilla vs. Kong, the latest entry into the Titanverse. Over the mountain, across the sea, there's a girl, she's waiting for me it comes to Godzilla versus Kong, I feel like your enjoyment of this movie will actually probably be pretty heavily affected based on simply whether or not you like Godzilla more than King Kong, pretty much, right? I mean, if you like Godzilla more, you will enjoy his scenes more. If you like Kong more, you'll enjoy his scenes more. And it's weird because I probably fall into the Godzilla camp, Right. Godzilla is 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 in my opinion much much cooler than than King Kong. And it's unfortunate if you're a Godzilla fan because I feel like for the large portion of this film until the climax, King Kong is portrayed to be the if not the main character, the protagonist, right? Like for like the movie basically the plot in a nutshell is essentially well, Godzilla once thought to be the savior of humanity is actually a real dick, and he is destroying things all over the world for apparently no reason, and now we all hate Godzilla. And then they use King Kong as, not necessarily as like the weapon that's going to fight back against him, but they use him as a way to find their way to some magical part of the Earth. And look, we can talk about the scientific uh, nonsense, uh, the nonsensical science behind it, let's say, but the truth is I don't think that really matters the human stuff doesn't really matter. I mean, Kyle Chandler is in this movie. Millie Bobby Brown is in this movie. Uh, Rebecca Hall, Alexander Skarsgård. A whole bunch of people, right? Isaac Gonzalez. There's a lot of people are in this movie. But to tell you the truth, it doesn't matter. Okay? You come to see Godzilla fight Kong and Kong fight Godzilla. Lots of destruction. And I think the thing that really bothered me about this film... Is that you don't see them fight each other? This movie is what I want to say, like about two hours long, maybe just a little over two hours long. They don't fight. They don't even meet each other until half an hour in, maybe like forty minutes in, definitely thirty-five to forty minutes. And that I, I think, like I kept watching and being like, "Hey, so are we gonna see Godzilla versus Kong at some point in this movie?" Like, my God, if you if you guys remember uh, Godzilla King of Monsters. The most recent, I guess, entry into the monster... Whatever they're calling this. The monster verse or whatever. But either way. uh, If if you remember that, Godzilla fights King Ghidorah in the first 15 minutes of that movie. And then fights him again. And then fights him again. Then fights Rodan and the Mothra thing. And then he fights him again, right? It's like... There are tons of monster fights. They're essentially... Three rounds, right? Like this is essentially like a like a boxing match, or and perhaps more accurately, it's like a wrestling match. I would say, right? And I know there are no rounds in wrestling, but it definitely felt like, um like I don't know, you were seeing like John Cena or The Rock or or whomever, The Undertaker or Kane or whoever fight each other uh, in this because it almost feels like that's kind of how it was portrayed. I've seen some interviews. I want to say on film, film rejects, right? Like film school rejects. I want to say. They had an interesting uh, interview with Adam Wingard, the director, where he actually says that uh, he treats Godzilla like the heel, right? Because Godzilla is like the world's the world's uh, savior, the world's hero, and then he starts doing all this bad stuff for seemingly no reason. It is explained, of course. Uh, and then he, yeah, he becomes the heel, and and King Kong is the one who saves the day, and like that is kind of what happens. But yeah, if you're a Godzilla fan, I don't know. You feel I feel. Like you would be a little shortchanged uh because of this movie, right? and the climax as well, I think that's probably the movie's biggest flaw, like apart from any allegiances to any any fictional characters the 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 climax in this movie wraps up so rapidly it, you almost might be you dare to think that they they ran out of money or the production had to come to a halt or something because they're like, yeah, just end this real quick, end it quick. It's got to be over now. The movie, the movie has gone over two hours. End this movie, please. It's got to be done. That's kind of what it felt like, right? It, it wasn't necessarily bad, but after the entire movie built up to this climax, spoilers. Uh, you probably are aware because it was in some of the trailers. Mechagodzilla is uh, unleashed upon the unsuspecting Earth. And, and you know it's a human uh, hubris, right? Uh, arrogance, all these different things wrapped up into a into a awful Mecha Godzilla thing. And I mean, look, like, you look kind of cool, I'll be honest, but at the same time, by the time Mecha Godzilla actually comes onto the screen and starts blowing things up for real, the movie is basically over, right? Like by the time King Kong and Godzilla actually fight Mecha Godzilla, there's maybe like ten minutes left in this movie, and then it ends very abruptly. It ends. It ends super abruptly. And I just maybe it's it's made to be set up for for sequels and what have you, but at the same time, it's just it was kind of weird that it ended on such a jagged note, right? It wasn't again, it wasn't bad. It just is like, oh, the movie's over now. Movie's over now. I guess I guess I just am done watching. There is no after credit scene either. At least I again I watched it in Canada. Uh, I watched it via the Cineplex store. I rented it via the Cineplex store. And uh, so you're getting like the official version you'd see in theaters and yeah, no, uh, no after credit scene either. So, Hey, I mean, maybe, maybe that was something that was cut because of COVID. Maybe they just decided not to have one, whatever the reason is, there is no after credit scene. And because of that, it feels even more abrupt. Oddly, right? But either way, look, it's a—it's—it's it's actually a pretty fun popcorn movie. And I know that's not necessarily, a, or, or maybe a better way of saying is some people use that terminology and phrase, and I am definitely guilty of this, to kind of hand wave over criticisms, right? And the, and the truth is the human stuff was boring. The fact that Godzilla and, and Kong don't really even fight for a long period of time, that was kind of annoying. The climax stuff was annoying. It was a, It was an okay movie, right? At the same time, Maybe it's because a lot of the movies we have watched as of late have been really, like, dramatic, intense, v- certainly very good movies, right? I mean, we're going to talk about The Sound of Metal in this very episode. We're talking about Mank in this episode. We've talked about a lot of other uh, Oscar contenders in previous episodes recently, right? Like, you guys know I love those movies, obviously, and a lot of people do. But I think uh, there is obviously still a market for big, dumb, beat up explosion, blockbuster movies and I think with uh, with Godzilla versus Kong, you do kind of get that, and maybe a more accurate, maybe more accurate summation of this is that simply, I would have loved to have seen this in theaters. Like if I if I had to give this movie a number score, which again, you guys know, I don't usually do, but if I had to give this movie a number score, I would probably give it what maybe a three out of five, three and a half out of five. Let's say yeah, it's a, a six or a seven out of ten. Let's say right, So it's, it's it's in that range. Let's say right fine passable movie fine movie for the middle of summer for a July weekend you're going to go see it but because we haven't really been able to enjoy movies like that it did feel like kind of a, a forbidden sort of treat if you if you get my meaning right that doesn't make the movie better by any means but it it did make me think Man, I would have loved to have been sitting my butt in a theater for this. Like, munching on popcorn, laughing out loud at the really stupid jokes by the kids, and Brian Tyree Henry's character, the, the conspiracy podcaster guy. Like It's just all, it's all so silly, but I would have loved to have seen it in a movie theater on, a, on the big screen. And further to that, yeah, the other really big positive, I would say, the visuals. The visuals for this movie are honestly, I think, stunning. I, you guys know I'm a big sucker for that kind of thing, right? When we talk about Raya, for example... But it's, it's a really very pretty, I gotta say, like a lot of neon, very interesting lighting, right? I mean, Godzilla and Kong, as you might imagine, as the two stars of this movie, right? The stars of this, the star of this movie is not Kyle Chandler or or Skarsgård or Millie Bobby Brown. The two stars of this movie are, are Godzilla and Kong, right? Um, and they are they are rendered lovingly and beautifully. If that if that's something that matters to you, you will be very pleased because the fur on Kong as he rolls around in the snow or the dirt gets on him, the scales of Godzilla as he gets as he gets beat up or recharges his like fiery uh, the green laser thing he has going on right, the fire breath thing. Like all of that looks really cool and I think that's probably the if if, if that was the focus of this movie intentionally, hey, kudos to the animators because they did an absolutely terrific job. But it's a uh, again it's it's I feel like it's really easy to kind of dismiss the other stuff but at the same time you want that stuff to be better I guess right like did were people were people really clamoring for more human stuff I didn't really I didn't think so I certainly wasn't were were you right I I don't think so right but either way look, Godzilla versus Kong uh first real huh blockbuster I guess of like the COVID era or certainly one of the biggest ones at the very least. And, and because of that, I, I, uh, I, maybe I'm looking at it with a rose-colored glasses or looking upon it a little more fondly. But either way, I, I did enjoy it. And I think if you like those superhero movies, the big dumb beat-em-up explosion movies, you'll probably like this one too. That's it for me on this episode of the Showtime Movie Podcast. Thank you for listening as always. And you know what? Before we move off of uh, these movies and we get to the movies we'll do on the following episode. Um, full disclosure, when I do the reviews, right, when I record the audio, like by and large, I, I kind of just do it all in one shot, right? Sometimes I'll make notes right away in my on my phone or on some pieces of paper I got lying around uh, in my room about the, uh, the movies that I just watched, right, about Sound of Metal, about Mank, etc., Uh, But for Godzilla vs. Kong, because that particular night we watched it, me and my roommate, uh, pretty early, right? We watched it uh, earlier than I usually do. So I just came in here and I recorded that, uh, what you had just heard, that audio review, basically like less than an hour after I had seen the movie, right? So that was pretty much my immediate reaction, my immediate thoughts to Godzilla vs. Kong. And I'm just finishing up recording this episode basically the following evening, right? It's been a pretty busy couple days. But because of that, uh, I've had some time. I've had some time to sleep on uh, how I feel about Godzilla vs. Kong. Well, my opinion hasn't changed. I, I'm not going to change the review or anything. But it got me thinking, Hong Kong in that movie basically gets destroyed. Like, if you, if you guys remember, I think in the 2014 Godzilla movie uh, with Brian Cranston and Aaron Taylor-Johnson and Elizabeth Olsen, who funnily enough... I think play husband and wife very soon after they play brother and sister in Age of Ultron, I want to say, but anyways, that's neither here nor there. Uh, but in that movie, I think the climactic fight between Godzilla and the Mutos, those, those weirdo kind of spider-y, uh, spider aliens, spider titans, I, I believe takes place in San Francisco, right? So that, that city, San Francisco gets largely destroyed, as you might imagine. Uh, and in, in Godzilla King of the Monsters, Boston gets destroyed, right? He fights King Ghidorah in Boston, And Boston gets pretty much completely leveled, right? Like, the nuclear explosion happens and completely destroys Beantown and everywhere around it. And uh, this movie, The Climactic Fight, takes place in Hong Kong, right? Because the, the fight at the beginning of the movie, where Godzilla attacks the facility, he pretty much just levels, like, a government facility in the middle of nowhere in, like, Pensacola, Florida, right? So he didn't actually attack a city. The big city fight is Hong Kong. And it got me thinking... Boston, for example, was evacuated, right? Like, I think by the time Ghidorah and Godzilla have their big fight in that movie, the city had been completely evacuated or as as evacuated as somewhat a place like Boston and the greater surrounding area, I imagine, can be, right? Hong Kong... They basically, like, I know Lance Radek, who must have been on set for, like, five minutes, and they're like, hey, you want to say one-line dialogue? Sure, why not? Either that, or there's a greatly inflated version. Release the uh, Adam Wingard cut of Godzilla vs. Kong, I guess, uh, where all these guys, including Kyle Chandler, get a whole ton more scenes and dialogue. And, like I mentioned, no one wants that, so I'm completely fine with the way it turned out, and I would have, frankly, preferred less, but either way... Uh, they they have a throwaway line where he says, We're trying to evacuate the city. So by and large, they obviously did not succeed, right? And I mean Hong Kong is one of the most densely populated cities, I wanna say on the face of the planet. And Godzilla and Kong arrive there and then just Matumbo this city, right? Like Dukambe Matumbo wagging his finger on a block at the rim. They just destroy Hong Kong. Like the the part of the movie where I think it was Alexander Skarsgård, but some character basically goes, well, looks like round two goes to Kong, and frankly, it looked like round two never really finished, but if you want to consider that uh, its own round, sure, we'll go, for, we'll go for it, even though it looks like the fight overall, rounds one and three go to Godzilla, right, because Godzilla whooped Kong's ass in the, in the third round of that fight, but... He says like one of them say, Looks like round two goes to Kong like what, blithely as the as the corpses of millions of people litter the streets of Hong Kong? Like I couldn't believe that. I, I remember thinking that being like, Wow, that was like that's kind of callous, right? I mean, a lot of people just died. It's funny, between the events of Pacific Rim and the events of Godzilla vs. Kong, as much as I would love to visit Hong Kong, uh, I think just much like New York and a lot of superhero movies, I'm being told that New York and Hong Kong are not places you should live, right? I guess uh, with the original Godzilla movies, I suppose, uh, you know, you don't want to live in Tokyo as well, but Man, that was, I just, I don't know, I, I was thinking more about Godzilla versus Kong as I was about to wrap up this episode, and I thought to myself, man, what a, what a weird thing. What a weird thing for someone to say. Also, by the way, Godzilla sensing that, I guess, that the Kongs of the past and the Hollow Earth, which I guess were like Atlantis-level, really intelligent primates at some point— figured out some kind of early godzilla detection warning system because they had like a it was like a little like a mural of godzilla his ax seemed to be made of like a godzilla spine right like older godzilla or something like was this godzilla was it was his daddy or his granddaddy like a a menace to the kongs of the past i don't know it's a that's some other interesting titan verse stuff i guess can be explored later on but Uh, Godzilla, uh, sensing that his, uh, his, his, like, anti-Godzilla axe that was, like, lying at the bottom of the earth in the center of the earth's core or whatever, wherever the hollow earth actually is, uh, could, not only was turned on, but then he decided to blast his way using his, like, atomic breath to the center of the earth. Like, does that mean if Godzilla hadn't chosen not to stop? He would have blown a hole right through to the other side of the planet or vice versa in king of the monsters when he shoots his atomic breath up into the air does that did that just go on forever like could he could he have aimed at the moon and blown a hole in the moon these are the kind of questions that i thought about after sleeping on godzilla versus kong for a night but Anyways, it was, a, it was a good movie. It was actually a very good movie. You, you guys know I liked it, so it, it's a fun beat-em-up, and like I said, I would have loved to have seen it in theaters, because I, I get the feeling that when Kong, and this was like the money shot from the trailers, right, when he like takes off with the axe and like whacks Godzilla in the face, you, you gotta know that people would have been cheering and hooting and hollering, and that's like half the fun of going to see these kinds of movies, right? So... Anyways, that's just an additional five to six minutes on Godzilla vs. Kong, but I couldn't resist because it was a very silly, fun movie. But like I said, uh, that is it for this episode of the Showtime Movie Podcast. I think on the next episode, we will finish the Best Picture nominees, right? We kind of took a little bit of a detour with Godzilla vs. Kong. Obviously, Sound of Metal and Mank we did in this episode. I guess we'll get to The Father, Promising Young Woman, and Trial of the Chicago 7 on the next episode, and we will... Chicago six actually? Chicago seven? Now I'm not sure. I'm recording this at like 3 a.m. here uh, in Toronto. It's one of those two, right? It's not 5 or 8. So uh, either way, we, we will get to all three of those movies and the, the various uh, Oscar implications for them before we move on to some other uh, blockbuster-y movies because more are coming out, right? The Mortal Kombat movie is coming out soon. But I want to get all the Best Picture nominees and maybe a couple other ones that were nominated for Oscars as well in before the Oscars at the end of April, and then we'll continue on with uh, the rest of... We'll, what the, Whatever is the summer of 2021 holds for us, right? Black Widow's coming out. That's been moved to uh, uh, On Demand, right? Premium On Demand. Cruella's been moved to Premium On Demand. Um, a whole bunch of other movies have been moved to different kinds of releases, not just in theaters, right? So, there you go. Well, we'll talk about that stuff a little more, but again, thank you so much for uh, listening. Thanks for bearing with me on this extra little tangent I had to end the episode. Uh, we'll talk to you next time, and as always, have a great night. Every night and I go I'm coming home, baby I'm on home Coming home, baby, now You know I'm waiting here for you I'm coming home now real soon You've been gone. Coming home, baby, now You don't know what I'm going through I'm coming home, I know I'm overdue Since you went over